Okay, well, we're, we're going to continue talking about godly success, and specifically, uh, we're going to talk about work ethic this afternoon. I couldn't resist uh, using a, a bright background. I know in the past we've always used the dark backgrounds because uh, the, the projector wouldn't support the, the lighter stuff typically, but with the, the new projector, it really looks, pops pretty good, good change. Uh, so anyway... Uh, we are going to talk about work ethic, and I know uh, to a great extent this afternoon I'm really preaching to the choir. I believe that uh, this group has a wonderful work ethic, and the evidence uh, is no less than uh, a week removed from us. And as we saw in our youth meeting, we had a lot of people uh, get involved with that effort and do a lot of work uh, to produce an outcome that we think will be uh, profitable for both our congregation and for the young people uh, that took uh, took part in that. Um, I'd also say that maybe uh, the timing of this, maybe it's not that great, and since I'm the one that does the schedule, um, maybe a little better work ethic on my part, push this out a few weeks away from the meeting, might have been might have been a better choice. But I want to talk about work ethic a little bit from the standpoint of um, why God demands that and why that's why is that even an important thing to God because it just seems like well if I just follow the commandments and I just do what he asked me to do why does he really care whether I'm industrious and I work especially not if we're talking about things that are not in the kingdom if it's just what what difference will it make if I'm working at my job and I work at that job hard or or whether I kind of take it easy. Why would God care about that? So we're going to try to hit that uh, as well uh, this afternoon. But uh, I, want to, I want to talk about a group of people, uh, and if you've ever worked in a school system, you'll understand this, but um, our school, to a large extent, runs on a group of people that are called paraprofessionals. Now, paraprofessional is just a term for someone who's typically not a degreed person, so it's not a licensed, certified teacher, and typically they're working at salaries that are about a third of what uh, your, your, your uh, salary, your teacher would work at. So they're, you might consider them underpaid in a sense. Uh, they're certainly not overpaid. But yet, um, I will tell you that school districts, ours specifically I can think of, relies on these people to do a tremendous amount of work. And uh, we are blessed with having a large number of these people that year after year after year, so they're not just doing it for a year, but they're doing it for 15 or 20 years, and they're serving in that capacity. Uh, my wife was one for a number of years, and uh, so I kind of relate to that. But um, uh, their work is critical to a school district. And if, if those people walked away, I'm not sure how we would feel the work that they do because they, they don't just do their job from 8 to 4. They're the kind of people that show up early. And a lot of times if you need somebody to stay late and work an evening event, they'll raise their hand and do that. I mean, they're just that kind of person. And that's just part of their personality. So it's not driven... Uh, by the desire to get a monetary gain, but rather, they, I guess they believe in the work, and I, I hope they do. They, 
they believe that, that what they're contributing is valuable and they're willing to do that. And the truth is, is most of us have a pretty good work ethic if we believe in the value of the thing that we're doing. So if we, if we think that there's an outcome that is worthy of my efforts, then I will pour my heart and my efforts and my, my uh, sweat into that to make that event come, become a reality. Um, but God would have us to do that even if, it, even if that's not the case. And so we'll touch on that a little bit. So I want you to think about just uh, motivation for work. You know, uh, this, this is found in the writings of the Apostle Paul in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul says this to them. He says, For you know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. Now that's interesting that, that he puts these two things together that, okay, we didn't misbehave, we didn't act unchristian like amongst you, in addition to that, we didn't freeload off of you. So those, those are two things that he points to them here. And he says, but we, we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Well, why do they do that? And the next sentence he says, not because we didn't have the authority. We know that preaching, and they, he, they came to preach the word, and so they could have just lived of the gospel. And they could have asked to be supported of just their preaching. He said, but we didn't do that because we didn't want it to be said that, that we just lived off of you. But rather, we wanted to make ourselves an example how you should follow us. In other, in other words, it was important for these, these young Christians in Thessalonica to know the value of work and supporting themselves and not just, not just feeding off of others. Because that was a problem there. And look in the next verse, in, in verse number 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That's pretty strong, isn't it? That's pretty strong language to say that if one is not willing to get up and work and provide for himself and for his family, they don't really even deserve to eat. For we hear that there are some who would walk among you in, dis, in a disorderly manner, not working at all, and look at the next phrase, but are busybodies. You've all heard the phrase that uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop, and I believe that's what Paul is alluding to here, is that when people are not about business doing work that is productive, then, they, then these, this idleness leads to a boredom, and that boredom leads to misbehavior. We all have seen examples of especially teenagers. Uh, they're not old enough, especially, you know, we had some vandalism here uh, several years back where somebody had busted out a window and stuck the, the hose through there and turned the water on, and so it flooded a portion of our, of our building here. And my first thought is, 13 to 15, because they're of an age that they're not really old enough to have a job, but they got all this energy and free time, and you put two or three of them in a group, and, and by the way, they'd be male. That'd be my next guess, is they'd be male. You know, 13 to 15, male. Um, 
And, and so, again, idleness, idleness is the devil's workshop. And so I think that's what Paul's saying here is that you work for two reasons. One is just to be productive in the things that, that, that come from that. And then second of all is it keeps you from being in other people's business and being a busybody and being about things that you have no business doing. Um, and so I think Paul points this out to us. And, and also in First uh, Timothy chapter 5, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, that's almost hard to imagine, isn't it? That, that it's worse to not provide, to be lazy and not try to provide for your house. It, that's worse than not believing at all. Well, how can it be worse? Well, Paul says it is. He's denied the faith. Faith, and it's worse than an infidel. In Colossians 3, he says this, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto men. So if you think about that job, what if I have a job that I don't really believe in the work? I mean, the work is just, it's boring. It's not anything I really believe in, but it is a true J-O-B. It is, I'm doing this job because I'm getting some return from that. And so, am I, am I bound to work hard at that? Well, what Paul says here is that you're really not working for the man. You're working as if you're doing it to the Lord. So, if it's worth doing, it's worth putting your best efforts into. And if it's not worth your best efforts, it's not worth doing. Even if it's something that in itself is of no value to you, you're doing it for a different reason. And we'll, we'll touch on that here in just a moment. Um, but I want you to think about from the very, very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, we remember the fall of man. And we know that one of the curses that came upon man was that he was going to have to toil all the days of his life. And so we see this in Genesis chapter 3. He says, Cursed is the ground uh, for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, and it shall bring forth uh, for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And so he's saying that because of your sin, I'm casting you out of this, this garden that I created for you, and now... You're going to have to do all this work to make it happen. But I want you to notice, and I had not really paid much attention to this, but even before, so Genesis chapter 2, they're in the garden. They haven't been cast out yet. They're in the garden, and look what it says. He took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Okay, not going to be the same level of work that it took after he gets kicked out, but even when man was in this perfect state that God had arranged for him in the Garden of Eden, there were certain responsibilities and things that he was going to have to do. He was going to have to tend and keep that garden. And that was going to be his responsibility. And so God, God created us as a, as a doing productive beings. That's what he did. And even, I, I would say, even in heaven, what we know about heaven is 
it's not going to be a place that we just lay around and do nothing, but rather we're going to be worshiping God and we're going to be serving others and we're going to be busy. We're going to be doing. We're going to be a people that are doing. And so again, God created us to be doers and not to be idle. Nature teaches us this. Solomon in his uh, wisdom in Proverbs, there's probably... 10 or 12 passages in Proverbs. I began to look at all the passages, and I, we're not going to allude to them all this, this afternoon, but they're there. And, and he talks about just nature teaches us this. He says, go to the ant, or he says, consider the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which have no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in summer and gathers her food in the harvest, how long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. He says that, that poverty is closer than you think. And you know, we've all seen the examples of, of people who have got into financial difficulties because they were just barely making it. Maybe they were living beyond their means, but they were just barely making it. And then some tragedy came upon them, and then poverty struck because, because they hadn't provided for that. They hadn't thought that things could, could turn south and they could have some difficulties. And so, uh, again, even back in... in in early times, Solomon warns of that. Another passage in chapter 10, he says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. It's an embarrassment to be that. And then finally, he says, In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. To sit around and just just chat and just just gossip and get into all that stuff, and that's kind of similar to what Paul said. He says that's just that's just a road a ticket to nowhere. Now, we all know that there are people that because of misfortune uh, may fall into situations that are difficult in, in life. And, and and in some cases, it's to no fault of their own. You know, somebody has, has health difficulties for years and years and years, and, and not just a one-off event, but for a long period of time, they're not able to provide. Solomon is talking more in general terms, that the person who is lazy is not going to be ready. The person who labors, there's profit in that, and that, that your life will go well for you, if you're willing to apply yourself. And so again, I think that Solomon teaches just general principles of nature that we all really understand uh, to be true. Well, why is, God, why is God's work, uh, why is work so important to God? And I want to start, this is kind of a back way to get into it, but I want you to think about brand. So look at those t-shirts up there you'll recognize that they're, they're NFL t-shirts. So, reckon what would happen if I started a t-shirt shop 
And I started printing T-shirts up and put Dallas Cowboy football. And I put it on the internet and I started selling them. And I started selling them cheaper than the NFL brand. Reckon how long I'd get away with that. Because brand means something, doesn't it? There, see, the NFL has created a value. A, their brand has a value. And that what I would be doing is I would try uh, trying to take advantage of that. And so it wouldn't be very long before they stopped me. I want you to think about college, and I've put an old, this is an old, uh, I guess it's Big 12. Obviously it's old because you got Texas A&M and Missouri that are now uh, SEC teams. But uh, so the idea, think about colleges. Think about the millions of dollars that they spend building football stadiums, paying high-dollar coaches, recruiting athletes that are top athletes. What are they doing? They're building a brand. They're, they're, they're saying to people that our university represents excellence. And so we want our athletic teams uh, to be top of the line because the, the presumption is, is if your athletic teams are top of the line, then your academics will probably also be top of the line. So you're trying to create a brand for your organization. Um, this is uh, Dow, uh, probably 30, uh, Dow Jones companies. I'm not sure this is current. Uh, but again, think about Walmart. What if, I, what if I went on and started trying to move merchandise under the brand of Walmart. How, how long do you think it would be before they'd have a cease and desist order uh, come to my door? Wouldn't be very long because, again, I'd be trying to leverage their brand and they wouldn't want me to tarnish their brand. So what if I didn't deliver? Now that looks bad on Walmart. So, again, brand's important. Well, I want you to think about you. In essence, you are the brand Christian. And so, again, back to that, that verse that tells us about the way that we work is whatever you do it, do it as unto the Lord. It's because you're a representative of the Lord. So that when people see the, the way that Christians interact, it is a reflection on that brand. And so when you and I, what do people say about our work? What do people say about how, how honest are we in, in our work? Or do, we, do we try to hedge and, and, and work the edges of deals where it might be a little bit dishonest, but it's going to maximize my profits for the moment? Um, or are we square dealers where people goes, yeah, you know, when you deal with these people, you're going to get what, what they say you're going to get. And if you're going to work, if, if you're supposed to work 40 hours a week, you work at least 40 hours a week. You may work 50, you may work 60, but you're going to work at least what you're supposed to work. Um, the brand Christian. Think about, again, examples that Jeremy alluded to this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about slaves. And again, you can think about 
if you're an employee, you're not a slave, but you are working for a master. You're working for someone that you're to be uh, uh, under. You're to be obedient to those who are your master according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. So in other words, what we're really doing is we're demonstrating the proper relationship between us and God. So when we, when we subject ourselves to our masters at work, we are, we are, it's a type of the relationship of the church and its members being submissive to the Father in heaven. And again, it establishes that brand that Christians, you want Christians in your organization because you can count on to be hardworking and being honest in being diligent about their work. So he says, he says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. So really, we're not slaves to the people of this world, but we're really slaves to Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not unto men. Let as many uh, bond servants as are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that, why? So that the name of the Lord and his doctrine will not be blasphemed. So, again, think about the example that if I do a poor job for my boss, people, if people know that I am an elder in this congregation, and I, uh, and I am unscrupulous in my work or I don't work hard and I'm not diligent about that work then w what kind of reflection is that on this congregation well, it's pretty bad and so I think that's the reason or part of the reason at least that God wants us to have a strong work ethic so another question that I thought of is okay can this go too far and I would say it can, and I've, I've been on the other side of this where I've, I've let it go too far. Um, I, most of you know I coached for a number of years, and when you're a coach, you have a master, and that master is, is, is your team and your, the job that you're doing, and it's, it's all-consuming, and, and I'm not exaggerating in any way by saying it's 80 or 90 hours a week during the season. That's, that's pretty normal. There, there were... Uh, lots of times that I would watch video until 2 or 3 in the morning and, and get up the next morning and be at work at 7. That, that was pretty normal. And then you'd do something similar the next night. It wasn't, again, this was a, the, the point is that it wasn't necessarily in service to God. And so sometimes people can serve, you can't serve two masters, you can either serve the one or the other. And so I've got the little, uh, little picture there of the guy that's his God becomes something else. And that's something that, you know, anything that we put above God, whether it's our work or our family or our, uh, our money or whatever it is that we put up there, that becomes our God. And so that's the point that it gets too much. I'll, I'll brag on Jeremy here because... Uh, you know, he mentioned it this morning, but he changed jobs sometime back. Um, he had a good job, and he had a job that he had some a leadership position in, and he left that job 
to go to a job that was new to him. Well, in doing so, I mean, that was a, I'm sure that was a hard thing to do. But uh, to me, it says that he didn't go too far. That, yes, he's a good worker, but he's not the kind that's so far into the work that he's willing to sacrifice his relationship with his church and his relationship with, uh, with God to, to do that work. And I, I know that there are lots of other people in here that, that have done the same thing and do the same things and, and make sacrifices to be part of the Lord's work. And so then just finally, uh, you think about work and just the whole habit of, habit of work, but think about work in the Lord's kingdom. Um, you know, you think about what it took to build the first temple. And that had to be some operation. To take that tent, that tabernacle, and recreate that in a permanent structure that would be this glorious building there. And they did that under Solomon. Think about how, how much effort and work and resources that it took to make that happen in the Lord's kingdom. And then think about when they came back, when Nehemiah led the people back after the captivity and they re rebuilt that wall. That wall had been torn down. They had no security. And they were being invaded all the whole time. And he came back and he was very passionate. And he, he, he prayed to God and he, with tears. And because he was so motivated, he came back to Jerusalem. He looked at the wall. He surveyed it. He motivated the people there and they rebuilt the wall. And then after they rebuilt the wall, they began to work on the temple. And they, there was a revival of, of, of religion there in Jerusalem because of Nehemiah and Ezra's efforts and, and because they were able to motivate the people. Um, work in the kingdom. The work that, that the, the apostles did to, to take the gospel from ground zero all the way to... It still exists some 2,000 years later. Think about how remarkable that is. Think about the sacrifices they made. Yeah, they gave their life, but they also worked in the kingdom. And then again, we, as we mentioned before, the sacrifices that this congregation has made uh, to continue the Lord's work here. So uh, it says in Hebrews 6, The Lord is not unjust to forget your, your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become slug, sluggish, but imitate those who would through faith and patience inherit the promise. So he's saying stay with it. Stay with your, You've got a good work, and we just encourage you to stay with that work. And so that's our admonition this afternoon uh, in the Lord's kingdom. We, uh, we're going to offer a song of invitation. We uh, stand ready to help any of you that may need help. And so uh, we will stand the song that we will sing the song that's been selected as we stand and sing. <laughs>